Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. I'm Virginia Stanley. I'm Chris Connolly. And I'm Lainey Mays. We are the library marketing team at HarperCollins Publishers. Above all, we love bringing librarians and great books together. Join us every week as we present buzzworthy books through author interviews, conversations with editors, and expert opinions from librarians like you. Enjoy the show. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Fest. Hi, welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast. Today we are joined for an episode of Editors Unedited, and you will recognize this name because we had her on a previous podcast to talk all about romance. Um, Today we have Nicole Fisher. She's an editor at Avon Books, and I'm going to let her take it away. Hi, so it's good to be back. I, you know, love to talk about romance, so I'm happy to do it anytime. Um, I'm actually also here with USA Today bestselling author Scarlett Peckham, whose new book, The Rake S, comes out on April 28th. Um, So Scarlett, can you give listeners like a little elevator pitch for your new book? Uh, I can. Um, It is about a female rakist who is on a quest for women rights and to get the love that she deserves. Excellent. Um, as an editor, I was drawn to the idea of a female rake, um, a woman who's like unapologetically sexual and isn't ashamed of her desires or her past, but rather uses it as to her advantage. Um, it's not something we see super often in historical romance, and I was really excited to see where you took the story and the series as a whole. So very excited about this book. Um, <laughs> So before we get into any specifics, I'm just curious, um, why historical romance for you? Like, what drew you to this subgenre? The very first time I ever laid eyes on a romance novel was when I was, like, I think seven. And I was looking at my grandmother. I think she was, like, watching us as we swam in the pool in a summer when she was babysitting. And she had a cloth cover on a book, like a paperback mass market book. And she was just laughing hysterically, like, cackling and, like, totally ignoring us. We could have drowned each other. I was like, what are you reading? And she told me it was called Whitney, My Love. And then later on, I, like like when she wasn't watching, like snuck a look at what was underneath the cover of this book. And it was like, you know, like technicolor. Like, I don't think it's a Fabio cover, but it's an old school, like everyone is like laying in kind of like the mountains. And also there's a rainbow and there's a woman in a ball gown with her hair, like blowing in the wind. And I was like, what is this madness? Um, So I started stealing my grandmother's historical romances off of her shelf as one does. And that kind of like created a lifelong obsession that exists to this day and has inspired a career. So thank you, Grandma. (laughs) Amazing. So when did you decide you wanted to be a writer and have those books inspired any of your ideas or your writing style? Yeah. So, I mean, I always was like a very bookish child and I would literally write like romantic stories like on Thanksgiving break when I had time. Like I've just, I don't know, I've always been attracted to the genre. Um, 
But when I was a kid, I just like would go to the library and come home with literal stacks of like Judith McNaught and Joanna Lindsay and Julie Garwood and Catherine Coulter and all of these kind of like dark, twisted historical romances. And I think they really embedded in my psyche. Um, And, you know, I read like more recent classics um, by you know, many Avon authors and other authors of the genre today, but like, those are the ones that really just got in there. And then um, I decided to make a career change when I turned 30 after like a decade working in PR and was like, I want to write a book, but I don't know what kind of book to write. And then I remembered like, oh, well, you've read literally 7,000 historical romance novels. Why don't you give that a shot? So here we are. I mean, honestly, what is more exciting than being able to like write books when you love books? I personally cannot write, so I can't do it. But like I edit because I can't write. So yay. <laughs> oh, you write a gorgeous edit letter. That's oh, well, thank you. I mean, <laughs> however many pages it was, I don't even recall. But I think like 17. <laughs> <laughs> Traumatizing. Um, so this series itself, did anything specific inspire you to write a book about three scandalous women with scandalous reputations or you know you call this the society of science what inspired this specific idea okay I would say an amalgamation of like intense feminist rage because I began writing it around the year 2016 and I will let um viewers at home sort of remember what was happening in that time but um a little bit of that and then a little bit of uh, all of my books are kind of inspired by like the idea of kind of interrogating and twisting and poking fun and also like writing a love letter to a specific trope. And I really wanted to write a rake book, but I thought it would be super cool to reverse or I mean, reverse is the wrong word given gender is fluid, but um, to switch the rake from the historical like trope of a man and to a woman. And then I was sort of thinking, all right, well, what would that even mean? What would it look like to have a female rake? Like, what would she be like? And then I was just sort of like angry. And I was thinking about, you know, like the double standard um, in society and also in romance novels, because romance novels reflect society of, um, you know, we have all of these men who are like walking around being extremely sexually provocative and, and living their life. And we don't really have the equivalent of that with female characters, but we do have the ruined woman. And so I thought it would be really interesting. What if you have a ruined woman? And then um, she sort of casts off the notion that ruination is a thing that can happen to a human being and decides to be a rake instead. But then I was like, how do I ground this in like a historical time period where it would make sense? And I started reading about, the 1790s feminist and particularly Mary Wollstonecraft and sort of her life story and what happened to her. And I also started reading about this long history of women who have been deemed like sluts um, or notorious and who have used their terrible or at least, you know, very scandalous reputation to gain wealth and power. Like there are these amazing courtesan memoirs that date back to the 10th century in Japan Um, or the 16th century in France, or like, I mean, there's a long history, and I won't bore you with it. All of these women who, you know, have been deemed like total, total sluts, and then who become rich and powerful by turning that notoriety into um, 
their life story. So all of that kind of got wrapped up into like this idea of Arrakis, who's also kind of a little bit of a feminist social justice warrior, but who's also sort of monetizing her scandalous reputation. And all of that kind of is what Serafina Arden, the main character, is doing. And then she has these two best friends who we call the Society of Sirens. And the reason they're named that is because the the sirens of Greek myth were like famous for living on their little island and being insanely hot and also luring fishermen with their alluring songs and then basically murdering them. And I just thought that really got the tone that I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) But thematically, you know, it's about like, that, that switch of like being deemed bad by society and then turning that into your own power and using it to fight for good. I mean, I love that idea. And I think like, obviously, there's a lot of people out there that are angry about how, you know, inequality and gender inequality and the patriarchy and double standards. And I think it really resonated reading this book, how you were able to touch on a lot of things that feel modern, but are also still completely relevant from the time period that you were setting the story in. And um, I love the idea of flipping like, you know, the traditional trope of a reformed rake and flipping it to make it be a woman. Um, Were there any, do you have fun doing that? Were there any challenges or, you know, things that you think, you know, you had to be careful with how readers would react? Are you, you know, how, talk to me about that. I would say, like all of the above, um, <laughs> like it was a blast in some ways to come up with this character who literally embodies some of the like stereotypical behaviors of a rake. Like she prowls around like a panther, and you know, like I remember so many books I read like as a kid in my um, formative reading years where it's like a rake book and you open it up and the rake is like in the arms of his mistress and he's like had like 17 drinks and he like stumbles home and he's miserable (laughs) but also he then goes to his club and he's like hungover and maybe there's a different mistress there who's like strung across his lap and he just has this life of like um complete sexual freedom and also like dissipation and it's a little bit depressing um and also this this character is often quite tortured when we get to know him like the rake often has a really like kind of hilarious and sort of sly and sexy exterior which I wanted to give Serafina Arden um but then he also has this like heart that is damaged and there's a reason why he's turning to things like alcohol and casual sex and like you know things that can be absolutely fun and great and no judgment but also things that one can weaponize against oneself if one is a little bit depressed or a little bit unfulfilled or whatever. So I wanted to give Serafina all of that. Um, And I think that can be a little bit tough. I feel that in romance novels, as in life, we often are more forgiving of the frailties and cruelties of our heroes than we can be of our heroines. I, I really wanted to think through what it would feel like to be a woman who is A, embodying like the rake trope, and then B, doing it in a time period where, um, you know, if you are a sexually adventurous woman and that is your reputation, you're going to face consequences for that. And also there are biological consequences for a person who is biologically female um, who is having casual sex. Like, what does that look like in an age before birth control? You know, there are just a lot of things that um, complicated 
what could have been maybe like a fizzier story, I guess. Yeah. So like, do you think, I mean, to be, you know, fair to people who use this term, do you think anyone would think of Serafina as what like people call an unlikable heroine? Um, (laughs) Or do you have a better term for that? Um, You're talking to a woman who literally has a sticker on the back of her laptop that says unlikable heroine. (laughs) You can find them at scarletpeckham.com. But I also have a sticker that says alpha heroine. And I think these two things can kind of go hand in hand. Um, I think there are tons of people who will encounter Serafina because she is like tough to read at times. She is going through a dark time. She's flawed. Um, She's dealing with a lot of things and she's, she's, can be quite brittle and quite angry. She can also be luminous and loving and hilarious and passionate and powerful. Um, And I think that what I mean by an alpha heroine, um, it's like someone who is allowed to have the full range of humanity, you know, like they Mm -hmm. have agency and they have darkness and they have flaws, but they have softness and sweetness and light. Um, And they can be unlikable, but they you know, are usually kind of likable too. (laughs) It really depends on your perspective. Um, They're human. They are human beings, Nicole. (laughs) (laughs) That's my next sticker, human beings. I write (laughs) human beings that have flaws and they're, you know, still awesome because people have flaws and why should a character in a book be perfect in every way? I mean, most people who read two perfect characters call them, you know, too perfect and they didn't do anything wrong or they're too stupid to live or something like that so like why shouldn't a heroine be allowed to be just as you know messy or intense or sexual as the hero a hero a thousand percent agree hundred percent so beyond just you know being a human being these characters have sexual desires and sexual attraction and interests and just because it's a woman, she shouldn't have to be, you know, demure and virginal. And female sexuality is obviously an important theme in the Society of Sirens series. And obviously, as a fierce advocate for sex-positive romance and heroines who own their sexual desires without shame, um, I adore the way that you've created these female characters and these three friends. Um, can you talk a little bit about why the subject is important to you or you know, romance novels in general, especially historical romance? Um, yeah, this is a hard one to answer for me, actually, because I just feel that um, sexuality is an expression of selfhood, right? And so um, in all of my books, I want my characters to reach a place where they can be completely themselves, like fully vulnerable and joyful and intimacy. Um And I think there's power in that because in order to get to that place, like there's a level of self-knowledge and security. And a lot of times it takes people like a long time to get there in part because we have so many received messages in our society, particularly um, women historically about, you know, what you're allowed to do with your body, how you're allowed to express your sexuality, how you're allowed to express your gender, um, you know, be that how you look or how you act. Um, And there's a great deal of power dynamics, obviously, and all of those things. And so I just think it's an awesome, the romance novel is such an awesome vehicle to look at relationships, right? Because these books are just about 
human intimacy. Um, and so I like to think about how sexuality plays out in a love story, you know, like how I think a love story is kind of about a person falling in love with themselves in another person's eyes, you know, like seeing yourself in the context of someone who loves you kinds of expands the way that you're able to love yourself. And I think the sexuality of that, it's kind of its own arc, like it mirrors who you're able to become and how you're able to express, you know, your power and your, um, your personhood in a way. So I don't know, that might be a weird meta answer, but like, it's super important to me. It's like one of the reasons I write romance. Like, I just think it's so unexplored um, in many books, you know, like we rarely write about um, sexual intimacy in a way that is both, I don't know, kind of sensuous, um, but also sort of serious and exploratory in like literary fiction, you know, like it's often very um, stylized or, whatever romance is a little bit more earnest about it and I like that I feel like there's still you know a lot of people that think historical romance because it was a time where everyone was very buttoned up and they didn't talk about sex and they you know maybe they didn't even have sex but like the population continued so obviously they did (laughs) but you see that a lot when a book or a series is maybe set around a sex club or you know there's really graphic sex in it and like obviously romance does not have to have sex on the page to be considered a romance but you clearly write sex on the page Um, and a lot of readers sometimes think it's a little anachronistic or that a character who's too modern or has feminist ideals or fights for women's rights or like you know owns her sexuality doesn't fit with the time period Um, what do you have anything thoughts on that like have you stumbled upon anything in your research that would say otherwise (laughs) uh yes yes I can say with confidence that I have um obviously sexuality pervades the history of the species because without it there would be no species right like we have to couple in order to biologically reproduce um in terms of how that intersects with the history of feminism and stuff I was seeing in my research. Um, This book is specifically inspired by Mary Wollstonecraft um, and other 1790s era feminists who kind of lived in the age of revolution. They were like inspired by the American revolution and the French revolution and this movement towards a more universal notion of equality and human rights. Um, and the way that this played out for women, as I was like sort of becoming obsessed with when I was doing research is that you would get these people who would write, you know, extremely intellectual kinds of, um, you know, treatises, for instance, on female equality or just equality in general, not even necessarily female equality. Like maybe they were anti-monarchists or they were abolitionists, um, and they were absolutely vilified in popular culture. Um, There was an extreme polarization in the 1790s and um, there was sort of a conservative faction that was scared of this like rising wave of revolutionary sentiment. And then there were the people who thought that it was, you know, incredibly inspiring and right-minded and they were called Jacobins, um, which is a theme that comes up in the book. But um, one thing that I thought was sort of hilarious 
is um, there was all this propaganda that was kind of written like to humiliate or I don't know, just vilify um, women who were behaving in ways that the conservatives felt were unladylike. And they were called unsexed females. That's unsexed with an apostrophe after the D because it's like 1798 here. Um, And, you know, like there are these there's like a literally a poem about these unchaste and insubordinate and too literary and too artistic women who like, for instance, love botany, which is so scandalous, (laughs) you know? Um, And they equate a woman's interest in botany with pornography and then, you know, publish them in broadsheet newspapers. And there are, you know, like linographs of these women being turned into characters of ill repute over, things that in retrospect seem so basic, you know, just like writing an essay about wanting rights for some aspect of society who is currently um, not possessed of them. So I think, um, I don't know, just the fact that the polarization of that era so mirrors the polarization that we kind of have right now, like with culture wars that are happening and the way that you know, women who are very visible and powerful are often trolled on Twitter or the victims of revenge porn. Like it's a cycle and it's a cycle that's been going on since the 1790s, but I would have to imagine long before that too. Um, So maybe you already answered this, but is there anything like really cool, really interesting or really appalling, like the wildest true story from history that people might scoff at it if you put it in a book and think that it was just some wild thing you made up but it's truly something that actually happened besides what you were just telling us about um I mean the one that sticks with me is that Mary Wollstonecraft died giving birth to Mary Shelley who wrote Frankenstein which also like another amazing sort of feminist um text and Mary Shelley Uh, actually lost her virginity on Mary Wollstonecraft's grave um, because she idolized her mother who she never met as being like this feminist hero and like if you are telling me that women didn't have sex women didn't behave in ways that currently seem wild I would say that losing your virginity on your mother's gravestone with a famous romantic poet is like definitely one in the realism column <laughs> i mean that's pretty wild like, <laughs> sorry oh i mean yikes but also badass <laughs> um so i mean we've talked about a lot about the ladies of the ray Kess and the women of this book um but what about the hero so who is this man that falls in love with seraphina arden and why did you write this specific character to be her perfect partner Well, um, I would say that as a romance novelist, the perfect partner for anyone has to be their imperfect partner, right? (laughs) So I was trying to think, all right, I have this, um, you know, this character who's all about like revolution and revolt and destabilizing the power structures of society. Who is someone that this person can't be with? Probably someone who depends on the power structures of that society. There's a little bit of a forbidden love aspect in the book because Adam, the hero, is um, he's a Scottish architect. And this is in an age when there was a lot of like, I can't remember, there was like a name for it, but essentially like racism against Scots. Um, 
in England. And so he's a little bit vulnerable. He's also a bastard. Um, so he doesn't exactly have like his family name to support him in trying to make a life and career for himself. And he's a single father with two very young children who lost their mother several years ago. And so he has a lot on the line. He's trying to build a business and he really needs the patronage of powerful men in England in order to become successful as an architect, particularly with all of these sort of black marks against him. He's also the other usual foil to a rake, which is, um, you know, he's not sexually adventurous. He isn't a promiscuous person. He's extremely cautious and he's also extremely like family oriented and protective and, um, very concerned about the consequences of violating society's rules. And so they're kind of complete opposites. Um, but I think the thing about Adam that is like adorable is that he's just like a total cinnamon roll. Like he is tender and protective and passionate. Um, and he's really able to sort of like see Serafina for who she is and roll with her complicated nature and he's also kind of a freak in bed so <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> no spoilers but yeah um well we don't want to get too into their their hea because then it would be a spoiler but without giving away too much can you tell us a little bit about the rest of the society of siren series well, you know, who gets to the next HEA? What are the next books about? Yeah. Um, so there are three characters, Serafina, Cornelia, and Thais. And the next book is Cornelia's book. Um, and she is from an aristocratic family. Um, she's a painter. She had a youthful affair with her painting tutor that became public scandal and was cast out of her aristocratic family. So it's kind of her backstory. Um, and the book, like all of my books are kind of like tropey, right? Like this one's like reverse rake. The next one is going to be um, like my house party book because I am obsessed with house parties and I've never written a true house party book. But since obviously this is a series that's uh, about people who are kind of into like equality and restorative justice, it's going to be kind of like a restorative justice house party, uh, bohemian bacchanal book. <laughs> I haven't finished writing it yet, so I can't really tell you that much more, but it'll be cool. I think it'll be cool. Um, so final question. Um, what would you tell someone who hasn't read one of your books before and who is thinking about picking up the right guess? Um, I'd say hold on to your hat, baby. <laughs> uh, my books are somewhat known for their... Um, almost phantasmagoric level of angst. Uh, they are kind of funny, actually, but they're not fizzy. Um, they are a little bit gothic. They're a little bit inspired by old school romances, like the kind that I grew up with. Um, and they're very like modern in their politics and their sensibility, but they're also sort of grounded in the historical era of um, the Georgian period. So they're not Regency, they're before that, you know, like mid 1750s to late 1790s. And they're really twisty. Like my literal desire when I write a romance novel is to write a book that will keep you up all night. Like I want it to be a machine that you literally cannot put down. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Scarlett, for joining us. And the amazing Rakes is coming out April 28th. Well, thank you for having me, Nicole. This was an absolute pleasure, as always. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, and be sure to get your copy of The Great Guest. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Library Love Fest podcast. For more information on this week's episode, go to librarylovefest.com. Enjoying the show? We would love to hear what you think. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Library Love Fest and on Instagram at Harper Library. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share the show with a friend. Lastly, if you enjoy our show, we bet you'll enjoy all of the other podcasts from HarperCollins Publishers. Find a list of shows at harpercollins.com forward slash podcast. See you next week.